Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. It is good to be back. The return, the rebirth, if you will, of GBB Live. I am your host, the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Mullinax. And I appreciate wherever you are, however you may be joining us here on GBB Live, making us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience continues to mean the world more than you'll ever know. Ways to get in touch with the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at GBB Live. And, of course, you can follow the main site, SBN Grizzlies, at SBN Grizzlies, to follow Grizzly Bear Blues. No longer on Blog Talk Radio, obviously. Now we are a part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes still, but now we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, Anywhere that you can get access to a podcast, essentially, you can find Grizzly Bear Blues Live. So subscribe, download, however you take in our show, make us a part of it. Continue to spread the good news about GBB Live. Even though we're not live anymore, uh, it's still live on the podcast, I guess. Still, Still the recording process is a live one at that. And one of the great things about this new opportunity to record podcasts in this way is it allows for me to have guests on the show that I never would have been able to have otherwise recording at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast, where I currently am. Obviously, that equates to 8 or 9 on Central Time. It's hard to get members of the Grizzlies organization on the phone that late, understandably so. But now I'm a little bit more flexible, and I have a great couple of guests lined up for the first couple of episodes. Can't give you next week's guest just yet. It'll have to be a teaser, a a cliffhanger, if you will. Uh, It's going to be a good one, potentially. Uh, We just got to make sure things work out. But make sure you're following GBB Live at GBB Live, and you'll get the details about that. My guest this week, though, is a pretty good one. I'm excited to have him on the program as well. But before I talk about our guest, I do want to mention... Uh, The great work that our staff does over at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm a very proud papa in the way that I look at the work of our site and our writers. Lots of great coverage of the Memphis Hustle, who are having some success on their road to the playoffs. Uh, We've had some good news coverage, some good breakdowns of Jonas Valanciunas, Mike Conley, other great players. Uh, So I want to make sure that you're going and checking out the site because our writers really are our strength. And I'm appreciative of all the opportunities that I've gotten as a member and a uh, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues. But it's still cool to see so many other people have success as well. And one of the main things that's going to be the focus of this episode of the podcast, talk about it with my guest and and I'll talk about it uh, here as well, is the concept of people being able to accept that you can win a trade and not have a loser. There doesn't have to be a loser to a trade. And I think on Grizzlies Twitter, on our site, grizzlybearblues.com, and elsewhere, you, you, you see a bit of a misunderstanding when it comes to that. Because there's so much excitement about Jonas Valanciunas, about DeLon Wright, about how this team is playing right now on a three-game winning streak heading into the Atlanta game. You get hyped up and excited for something that isn't sustainable. And I think that for a fan base and for an organization that's so starved for success after a long stretch of really good basketball, that's understandable to an extent. But you can't allow for it to, A, cloud your judgment when it comes to what is best for the future of the organization, which is clearly to convey the pick. I don't understand why that is still a debate. 
That's frustrating to me because I don't see the value in a Cam Reddish and a Jarrett Culver when you compare it to what the Grizzlies could potentially have without owing a pick down the road. Whether it's the Grizzlies stay bad and you have a chance to have a better draft pick next year and a better draft that most experts say is going to be a better draft compared to this draft class. Or it gives you greater flexibility if you have a chance at a home run trade to to have pieces that would be attractive to someone in a trade. If you wanted to trade, maybe you don't have that desire, and hopefully the Grizzlies sit out the first-round draft pick trading business for a little while after the track record they've had. But the fact remains, conveying the pick this year is the best course of action for this organization as they are constructed because of the situation they find themselves in regarding what they owe to Boston. It gives them more flexibility in the long run. And you should be excited by the fact that it is clearly the opportunity of the organization and the goal of the organization to do that, and they're on pace to do it. They're on pace to do it. They will convey the pick if they continue playing at this level. They won't have a 15-game winning streak, but they'll convey the pick. It'll go. They'll be 9th, 10th, 11th in the lottery, and it'll be a guarantee. Either you convey or you're in the top four, and people are excited, hopefully, to land one of the top players in the draft. At least you're not eighth trying to get jazzed up for DeAndre Hunter. Uh, To me, and I like DeAndre Hunter, but he's not going to be an all-world player like you'd have the potential to get if you have the first, second, third pick in this draft. You are far more likely to be able to convey this pick and clear your ledger and not know anything, not owe anything. And that's what I'm most interested in. I am interested in moving on from owing anything. I want to be clear of that. But where the frustration comes is people get so excited about the success that they're having, whether they want to convey the pick or not, you start to forget things. You watch Jonas Valanciunas have success as a player. You see him thrive. You see him show the capacity to do things that Marcus All could not do, and it leads to you forgetting that Marcus All is arguably the best player in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. I only put arguably out there because I think it disrespects Zach Randolph to not have a conversation. Mike Conley obviously is progressing, and I think that he's on pace to be in that conversation as well. But if you're talking about accolades, if you're talking about impact, if you're talking about the way that the game on both ends of the floor was dominated at times, it's Marcus All. And because of the way that his time ended, going back to obviously all the issues with David Fisdale, his play last season and this season not being consistent at all, the moodiness, the behavior, all of those things are fair critiques. But I think because of the way it ended, and because Jonas is so different, it is leading people to forget just how good Mark was. And that's what I wrote about in my piece, Valanchunas and Gasol are dead, over at grizzlybearblues.com. Go check it out. It is a reminder that Marcus Gasol, at his peak, arguably the 2012-2013 season, was one of the very best basketball players in the world. Jonas Valanciunas has potential to be very good. The numbers back that up. Advanced analytics like him a lot. But he is not Marcus Gasol. 
Otherwise, he would not have been a part of a package to acquire Marcus All. He's good. But remember Mark Gasol for what he was. Doesn't mean that Valanciunas isn't better for the Grizzlies right now. I think he is better. He's a hell of a better screener. I'll give you that right now. He's a hell of a better screener. He is doing wonders for Mike Conley in that area specifically. Mark isn't as good of a screener as Jonas Valanciunas is right now. And Mike Conley is able to have more space to work with, enabling him to create more off the dribble. That's good for Mike. He's not as good as Marc Gasol. He's not. He's not. And Mark fits seamlessly in Toronto. He does what they want him to do. He's another facilitator. He's another guy who can help command the defense. He is another brick in the wall. That's what Toronto wants. And that's what Mark wants. He's able to play the game the way that he wants to play it in Toronto. He was not able to do that in Memphis. It's a win-win. And that's one of the points I try to make in the article. Stop trying to degrade one player or any other player or any other piece that was a part of that process. You can argue that they both won. I think they did. I think both sides won. I think Memphis won. They got better in the short term. They got DeLon Wright, who is the best backup point guard they've ever had. Oh, and by the way, he can play the shooting guard position too and allow Mike to play off the ball. They got C.J. Miles, who's experiencing a bit of a resurgence with a more consistent role. And you've got Valanchunas, who is the opposite of Mark. He's the anti-Mark. He's the bruiser on the block. He can control the boards. He has a physical body, and he knows how to use it, and he's not afraid to use it. He's not as skilled as Marcus Gasol. He doesn't have the experience of Marcus Gasol. He's eight years younger. He doesn't have that side of the game yet, and that's okay. Memphis doesn't need that anymore, and Mark needs to be a part of a team that is looking for that skill set, and Toronto offers that. So check that out over at grizzlybearblues.com. That is Gasol and Valanchunas are dead. There's some other great posts. And this beginning segment after this week, every time we record GBB Live, from now on, I will have another guest with me. I will have another GBB or I want to highlight our terrific staff over at grizzlybearblues.com. I think that's important. And I'm a big fan of the work that a lot of our folks do. And you will be hearing from a lot of Grizzly Bear Blues writers and thinkers and podcasters and all the different things that they represent it's really going to be a fun time. But I want to go ahead and throw to what's coming up next. Excited to have this guy on the show. It'll be the first time he's on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Again, the flexibility to record whenever I need to record is wonderful. He's going to be an awesome guest, I know. He's the senior editor and contributor and analyst for Grind City Media. Obviously, you can find him over at grizzlies.com. Make sure that you're following him, if you don't already, at my Mike Check on Twitter. We're going to be joined by Michael Wallace coming up next on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, and I am very excited to be joined by this gentleman. Uh, he does remarkable work over at Grind City Media. The, the media connection to the Memphis Grizzlies, obviously they do so much more than that, and I'll talk to him a little bit about that towards the end of our segment here. But I know I have a limited amount of time with such an important individual, so he's the senior editor and contributor and analyst over at Grind City Media. He is Mr. Michael Wallace. Mr. Wallace, how are you doing, sir? 
Hey, I'm doing great, man. I, I just had a birthday the other day, and, and I know I'm getting older, but that mister, I'm still not ready for that. So it'll just be Michael, man. We're, we're good with just first name basis, Joe. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, I appreciate that, Michael. And you'll have to you'll have to blame Jeff and Debbie Mullinax, my parents, for that one. I, I try to be polite, but but I, but uh, no, I appreciate no that. Um, yes. So thanks again for joining us, and it's it's good to talk to you on such positive terms, right? Because the team is playing so much better of late uh, on their first three-game winning streak since literally November. And I wanted to get your take because obviously being the, the head of Grind City Media over there, you're, you're so in deep, not necessarily in terms – fans often connect to the fact that you work for a media outlet that's connected to the team and automatically assume that you know everything that's going on. You know, I've had John Roser on the podcast in the past, and I've talked to Chris Vernon. That, that's not how it works. So if you want to explain that a little bit more for our listeners, that's fine. But we've covered it as well. But you do cover the team as a media member, clearly, and it has to be a lot better you develop relationships with these guys. You develop relationships with J.B. Bickerstaff it, it ha- and his coaching staff. It has to be good just to see them have some success considering all the adversity they've gone through. And even these new guys, the way that they're gelling, it has to be just good to see them at least enjoying playing the game and playing together right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a situation where, you know, the Grizzlies, we all know what the beginning of this season was like. Um, You know, they were 16 and 11 and then hit that swoon. Um, You know, all the losses piled up, the frustrations. Uh, the botch trades, uh, and then ultimately you, you trade the uh, most decorated player in the franchise's history in Marcus All, and you're not sure what's going to happen after that. And I think what we've seen over the past month is that not only uh, did this team answer some questions internally, uh, I think once they got past the cloud of the trade deadline, it was it was tough on everyone. You know, I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff certainly uh, has, has, has not had a lot of winning here uh, since he took over in an interim basis. Uh, November before last when uh, David Fisdale was dismissed. And, and it's just been one thing after another. But it's good to see this team finally finding uh, sort of its sea legs again. And, and it's everybody. It's all hands on deck. Um, the guys that have come back um, that are available. I mean, Mike Conley, this is a brand-new team around him right now. Uh, but but it's also filled with a lot of guys that had a lot to prove, uh, even the guys that came from Toronto or came from uh, winning teams. Uh, Avery Bradley was on a winning team with the Los Angeles Clippers, but his role wasn't necessarily what he felt comfortable with. Uh, the three guys that came over from Toronto, obviously they were on a championship contender, but all three of those players were in roles that they didn't feel uh, really, really unleashed them and unleashed their talents. So when you combine that with a Mike Conley sort of getting his, his mindset back and uh, his game is, is peaking at the right time and at the right level, um, you know, it's it's all good, and you're right. There, it's a much better story to tell, a much uh, much better team to cover uh, when they feel free and relaxed and, and are enjoying the game right now. We're talking with Michael Wallace of Grind City Media, the senior editor over there at Grind City Media. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so at my Mike Check. After watching this team for the past, oh goodness, now seven or eight years, it's been eight years, like crazy, uh, that I've been doing this this long, but. You develop, even if you've only met them on, in my case, a few times, you feel like you develop a relationship with these players. And we'll talk more about Marcus Saul's departure in a moment, but I want to focus on just how happy and how re-energized Mike Conley looks. You know, what do you attribute uh-huh. that to? Is it is it a breath of fresh air, the, the changes around him? Like you mentioned earlier, the cloud kind of being lifted on the franchise. He's clearly playing some of the best basketball of his career. I think you can argue him going toe-to-toe with Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs a couple of years ago, maybe more meaningful basketball, 
But the organization right. has a clearly stated goal of conveying this pick and being named the Western Conference Player of the Week while pursuing that goal. That's pretty meaningful, too. So how do you feel, especially watching Mike Conley thrive in a situation where most veterans might want to try to shut it down? Conley's doing the opposite. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's a great way that you point that out. And you you talked about it. And as you set up the question, I mean, you talked about the relationships that you get to build with guys and you get to see them uh, at their most vulnerable point. You get you're around their families to a certain extent. Um, and, and there's nobody in this league, and I've covered this league for uh, better, two decades now, and, and there's not an athlete that I root harder for. And I know there's a line between media, and, and before I was internal media with, within the Grind City Media with the Grizzlies, uh, I worked for ESPN at a national level. I covered uh, NBA and, and, and the Super Bowls and all kinds of sports, um, you know, for newspapers and, and radio stations. Um, so I, I've had that sort of external uh, view and relationship. I know all about journalism, ethics, and morals, and all of those things. But still, we're human beings, and, and there's not a nicer human being to cover a more professional guy than Mike Conley. Um, he's granted every interview that I've ever seen him uh, requested of him. Um, you know, he's he, he talks to you as a man. He looks you in your eye. He knows your name. Uh, he takes the time to to really understand what you're about and what your angle and your story is about. Um, so when you see him go through the injury that he went through last year uh, at a time when he's really pressing in his career to be an all-star, uh, it was devastating. And, and to see him come back from that, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the Western Conference Player of the Week this week, which was the first time in his 12-year career that he's ever won that, which I was astonished by uh, when we did the research yesterday. But but not only to see him and the way he's been playing this past month, but also to see that this is in the context of I think he's played 64 of 68 or 69 games already this season. He's on pace to play his most games since he went 80. He played 80 in the 2013 season when they advanced to the Western Conference Finals. So he's healthy. And that was the main question that he wanted to prove and, and, and show everybody is that he can still be healthy. He can still produce at a career high level. And that's a snapshot of what we've seen over this last month. So, you know, I couldn't be more thrilled uh, to see Mike doing this. He deserves it. And, and frankly, he still has some questions that need to be answered. I mean, he he's not sure what the future holds for this franchise, and, and I think that's fair. Um, the Grizzlies came out and said, hey, we're putting you on the block. We're going to see what we can get and see what the situation is. And Mike has only responded to that by playing his best basketball to show what his value truly is in this league. So we'll see what that means over the summer. Um, you know, when, when, when Mark and Mike were both put on the trade block, immediately based on reporting and based on just knowing the guys and, and, and even my own instinct, I said, look, Mark probably has to go. Uh, I, I don't think Mike has to go. And, and I think Mike needs to see, or it would be great if Mike can see what this franchise is like to run if it's totally all about setting him up uh, to reach his peak performance. And I think we've seen that over the last, over the last month of the season. And the hardest thing for me with that was I've always connected Mike and Mark together. And maybe that was to, not not necessarily a fair thing for Mike or Mark, but you always just saw Mike and Mark together. You knew they had that bond, that connection, and clearly they played so well as a unit, a two-man game. It, it's just fascinating to see him thrive without Mark, but obviously a big piece of that is the arrival of Jonas Valanciunas, who is probably, and you've watched a lot more NBA basketball than me at this point, Michael, he has to be one of the best screen setting bigs that I've seen in a long time, uh, at least in terms of the ability to understand his placement of his body. Mike Conley, especially on the game winning jumper or one of the key jumpers late in the last game, 
he had so much space to work with. I think that uh-huh. uh, Vucevic sagged off a little bit too much, gave up the jumper, but he had you know five to six feet. He had a clean look at that basket. Valanciunas' game is so unique in terms of being different than what Mark Gasol was. Not necessarily better, and I wrote about that over at the blog, a reminder uh, that Mark Gasol is still a pretty darn good basketball player, and his peak was pretty pretty impressive. But in the case of Valanciunas and how he is in some ways the anti-Mark in terms of his physicality down low, in terms of how he plays the game as a bruiser on the boards, it looks like that's kind of been rejuvenating for Mike as well, allowing for him to play the game in a little bit different way with a more traditional big. What has been your impression of Valanchunas and the impact that he's made on the team? I mean, the, the screens that he sets, and I totally agree with you uh, when it comes to that. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a better screen setter in terms of creating space uh, for the ball handler um, and, and also being able to dive as hard to the rim. Um, as, as Jonas. And, and you don't see that a lot right now, I mean, in the league. I mean, obviously, everyone runs a lot of pick and rolls. Steven Adams certainly set some crushing uh, screens for Russell Westbrook, so that's probably a similar dynamic there. Um, but, but the bottom line is that what Valanciunas does for Mike is that he allows Mike to reach uh, Mike's peak's powers. I mean, Mike needs to be – with Mark, it was more of a two-man game where they were equal facilitators, equal ball handlers – uh, it was sort of an egalitarian type setup between those two. Uh, Mark was just as lethal in terms of popping out and being able to hit that 15 to 17 to eventually three-point jumper uh, off the screens with Mike. But Mike can finish or Jonas can finish. And, and I think it also creates the space for Mike. I think when you when Jonas dives after setting that screen, it attracts so much attention and it almost draws everyone into the lane, almost like a sponge. When you release a sponge and it just soaks in all the everything around it, and, and that's what Jonas does when he rolls to the rim, and that only opens up uh, shots on the perimeter. And you've seen guys like Avery Bradley uh, respond to having that kind of space. Um, you, you've seen obviously Bruno Caboclo uh, uh, have some moments and show some things in Delon Wright. I think this trade probably has done more for Delon Wright than it's done for anybody else on the team, uh, second to Mike Conley. So you know it's one of those situations where I think all of that feeds off of the type of energy and aggression uh, that, that Jonas Valanciunas plays with. And then, you know, when he gets tired, guess who you sub in? You sub in a Joaquin Noah who's bringing the same kind of relentless uh, play, and he's more of a facilitator off of those screens as well, uh, more so than uh, a diver. So, you know, I, I think Mike has – the team is more catered to Mike now that he's the lone remaining member of the core four where he doesn't have to set up as much. Uh, he could be the finisher and the closer that he is. And when he's like that, you're seeing him average 15 points a game in the fourth quarter, and he's getting to the free throw line, and he's starting to get the respect uh, that, that he's long sought. So I think Jonas is, a, is definitely a conduit to that. Um, but I think Mike also had to get back to being Mike Conley and not trying to worry so much about everyone else and finally have the system put in his hands as well as the ball put in his hands so he could shine. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I'm joined at this time by Michael Wallace, senior editor over at Grind City Media. Does a great job over there, along with the other Grind City Media folks. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at my Mike Check, M-I-K-E, Check. Now, Michael, one of the fascinating things about this team is Memphis is unique to begin with, as I know you know. 
but the Grizzlies uh-huh. take on that. They take on the personality of a city in so many different ways. And one of them is the uniqueness. We are actively cheering at this point and hoping for wins. At least I argued in the opening segment that that is the smart thing to do is to cheer for wins at this stage in order to not have a first round pick this year. So uh-huh. taking that strangeness aside and pushing right. it over for a moment, uh, how do you feel in that movement? Obviously, the organization, again, has come out. They have stated clearly that that is the the goal, is to convey that pick this year. They want to have their ledger cleared. I've argued that you know you pay for your sins, so to speak. You make mistakes. You have consequences that go with those actions. This allows for them to start fresh, and if they do want to rebuild, it gives them the opportunity to rebuild. If they want to try to do what you just mentioned and rebuild on the fly, around Mike Conley and try to remain competitive, it allows them to have options. All the trades that they made, whether it's player options, restricted free agency, all of that adds up to them having options and flexibility. And that takes a step further if you're able to convey the pick. So even if you are higher on this draft class than maybe most people are, it still makes sense from an organizational standpoint, at least to me, that they try to move this pick to Boston this year. Where do you stand on that? I, I totally agree with 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 the first part of uh, of what you said. I, I think fans are cheering for wins because they they've been so win starved over the last right. you know year and a half. And I think fans uh, see I, I tend to disagree with fans caring about in large. And I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here, and, and I obviously don't speak for every single fan. But that's more of a front office move. I mean, that's more of an executive thought. I don't think fans who show up in section 106 or 216. Um, come to the games and bring their their kids and 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 you know put on their grizzly sweatshirts and hats and go order the popcorn and 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 the wings. I don't think they're saying you know what we don't want to we don't want to have a first round pick. So let's win this game so we don't have a first round pick. I think that's just accounting, uh, uh, bookkeeping, and economics for number one the super fan who is more you know analytics driven um, and 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 executive driven and also the front office. I mean it's sort of uh, uh, looked at it from that perspective. Because here's the thing, here's the thing, Joe. Look, the Grizzlies need to win games because they need to win games. Mike Conley's a veteran. You know, Joe Kim Noah is trying to prove that he can still be a, a role player in this league and earn another contract. Um, you know, the guys that came over in the trade are playing for options either to become full free agents or to get the best deal they can as a restricted free agent uh, in DeLon Wright's case. Um, Avery Bradley doesn't know if he's going to be making $2 million, uh, and get bought out. Or he's going to be making twelve million and, and opting in, in the <laughs> a major season. difference. Yes, so so it's one of those situations where, on the court at the coaching level, they could care less what happens in terms of conveying the pick or not. I think that's just a secondary uh, result of winning. And now they're in position to make a strong run at doing it. If they do convey it, great. The debts are paid. They can move forward without thinking uh, or, or owing anyone anything for that. You know, in terms of the first round picks for that for that most part. If they do end up having to get the pick, look, tell me where uh, Kawhi Leonard was drafted. Tell me where Giannis Antetokounmpo was drafted. Tell me where Paul George was drafted. You know, all of those guys were drafted after the eighth spot. So you can get talent at 9, 10, 11, 12, um, or or in the top eight. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. You just have to make the smart decisions and the smart moves. Now, I get why there's so much attention on conveying the pick, because you don't want to roll over into another year and then two years out, you're giving up an unprotected pick in 2021 uh, when that could be the most, the deepest draft that we've seen in decades. However, you can also alleviate that by if Mike Conley is going to be moved this summer, 
then you make damn sure that you get a 2021 first round pick out of that. You know what I mean? Whether it's unprotected or protected to a certain degree. So there's other moves that you can make uh, to sort of protect yourself and ensure uh, that you're not losing everything in 2021. So you just want to win games now because you need to win games now. This coaching staff is still being evaluated. This front office is certainly still being evaluated. Uh, and the players are being evaluated. So I look at it as two separate things. If it conveys, great. If it doesn't, um, then they just move forward and add another strong young piece uh, or use that as a trade chip, maybe trade out of that and get a 2021 pick by moving that pick um, to get some insurance. So there's still some flexibility there. It's not an all or nothing thing to me. Oh, I'm very intrigued by that 2021 draft. You make great points there. And, and I do think that Mike Conley is only increasing his trade value. Uh, do you think Absolutely. Utah would have rather have had Mike doing that to the Grizzlies instead of doing that to them a couple games yeah. ago? Probably so. So Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. And, and the market is going to be, uh, you know, not everyone is going to get, you know, Kawhi Leonard if he chooses to leave Toronto. Not everyone is going to get Kevin Durant if he chooses, which I don't think he will, to leave. Uh, you know, Golden State, you know, Kawhi, uh, Kyrie Irving could move on, um, but the, he, the Knicks are still going to have a whole bunch of salary cap space. There's going to be teams with more space and less, you know, uh, 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 less max guys uh, than, than the other way around. So those guys that don't have, you know, the L.A. Clippers and the Lakers combined will have anywhere between four to five max salary slots just in that city alone. So, you know, there's not enough free agents to go around that, that, that make that kind of money. Mike already has a built-in contract at that number, and you can absorb that and, and still have another year uh, or two left of his, uh, his peak seasons if that, is, if that is to be the case. So what will a team like that that's competing for uh, a championship in the next two years really care about a 2021 first-round pick? They might be willing to pry, you know, you might be able to pry that back away and still protect yourself. So I'm just saying it's a lot that goes into it. Um, I just think this team needs to win games now because they need to win games now. And then whatever happens after that, you know, the, uh, the, the people in charge will have to make those decisions and make smart ones. We're finishing up here with Michael Wallace. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at my mic check. He's a senior editor, contributor, analyst, extraordinaire over at Grind City Media. Does a great job with those folks. Make sure you're checking them out. Uh, I do want to get you out of here on this, and mm-hmm. it's something that I've admired about you from afar in terms of the work that you do in the city, because I was in Memphis for a few years, and I left with my wife for work reasons and all that stuff, and I still have a fond uh, fond memory and, and a strong love for the city of Memphis. That's why I do what I do still, uh, a large part of it. And I've really been impressed with how, whether it's the mentor work that you do with Elliot Perry, whether it's the historical black college university stuff that you guys do over at Grind City Media, you know, you you seem to have embraced the opportunity that you have to do something that's not as unique as it once was, like you said, being kind of an inner media uh, wing. And it's not that different uh, if you look at other sports organizations and leagues around the world. Soccer does it all the time. Um, but when you have the opportunity that you have in Memphis, in that particular city, with the Grizzlies, who are forward-thinking in a lot of ways organizationally, to have the opportunity that you have, what are some of the things beyond just the, the obviously the access to the team and continuing the great work that you do as a journalist? What is some of, or what are some of the best parts about being in Memphis, working as part of Grind City Media, that maybe go beyond that journalistic aspect of things? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a citizen of, of the city, 
And, you know, for so much of my career, you know, whether it was my time in Miami, my time before that, uh, you know, on the, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, um, during Katrina over in New Orleans, um, you know, whether it was in Tallahassee uh, or, you know, uh, in Louisiana, throughout, throughout my career, you know, it's always been, okay, you got to get the next job. And, you know, you got to keep, you know, your career going towards your goals. And, and that was to be uh, an NBA writer, um, uh, NFL writer. And I reached those goals. And I think now it's about opening doors for others, you know, whether it's students. I mean, every city that we go in when we're on the road, we're in Atlanta right now um, on a two-game trip that ends in Washington, uh, my hometown. It's one of those situations where, you know, I want to make sure that the doors remain open for those behind me. Um, I feel like I've been tremendously blessed with an opportunity to to reach some of the things that I set out. And, and if I'm not giving back, if I'm not paying it forward, um, then I'm wasting, you know, the, the resources that have been, uh, afforded to me. I'm wasting the opportunity to, to inspire someone else. And, and that's what this is about to me. Um, whether it's with the HBCU, I'm a product of an HBCU. I went to Grambling State University uh, in Grambling, Louisiana. Um, you know, when you look at the mentoring, you know, it was a mentor at the Washington Post when I was growing up as an inner city kid in Washington, D.C. Uh, that gave me my first taste of being a reporter when uh, the NABJ, the Washington uh, chapter of the NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists, I had a workshop for high school students um, that brought high school students from inner city schools uh, to Capitol Hill uh, to put together a newsletter. And, and, you know, I was 11th grade when that happened. And, and you know, Ken Cooper, who was a reporter at, with the Washington Post at the time, ran that, that session. Um, and, and I admired that, you know, and, and I remember every name of every person that uh, I looked up to and has helped me. And, and I want to do that same thing. Um, because, you know, 25 years later, you know, now that I'm, you know, 23, 25 years into this career, that's what it's all about. Um, that's what it's all about. And Memphis is such a unique and beautiful city. Um, it's rough around the edges. Um, and, and the team mimics that. You know, a lot of them feel like they've been rejected or overlooked or underappreciated. Memphis is a city is just like that. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in reconnecting those in the city to a strong history of togetherness. Um, you know, a strong, you know, whether it's around music, whether it's around food, whether it's around just unity of, of the races, um, you know, and, and I think that's that's important to me, you know, and uh, everything that I do, uh, whether it's with sports or as a result of sports and connections with sports um, is going to be predicated to that as long as I have this position. So that's what's important to me. And, and I think um, it inspires me to see other people uh, move a step closer to what their goals are, because I was in that in that spot not too long ago as well. Michael Wallace of Grind City Media, thank you so much for your time. It is appreciated. Enjoy your time on the road in Atlanta and D.C. Obviously, D.C., my neck of the woods, uh, two of my favorite cities. So enjoy your time out and about, and hopefully the Grizzlies keep things rolling, and we'll have you on Grizzly Bear Blues live down the road. Hey, absolutely, Joe. Thanks a lot, too, man. I appreciate it. It took too long for us to get to this, man, but I'm glad we finally caught up. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the next time already. We'll be right back. We are back here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. Thanks so much to Michael Wallace of Grind City Media for joining us on this episode of the podcast, our relaunch here. Make sure you're following us on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, on Spotify, all the different places that you can be a part of a podcast network. 
make us a part of your podcast journey as we continue to evolve our new format here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Again, thank you to Michael Wallace and to the Memphis Grizzlies and Grind City Media. Thanks to you for listening. Make sure you continue to check out grizzlybearblues.com, all the great content we have going over there. Until next time, I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.